Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot by your host Aaron Bewley and Tyler Gates. So grab your coffee and let's get into it. All right, it's Tuesday, June 16th. With us on the show today is Adam Westerman. Welcome, sir. Hey, what's going on, fellas? How's it going, Adam? Good, Good morning. All right, let's get straight into it. What was the first one I wanted to talk about? Oh, yes. The engineers create first ever underwater Wi-Fi system. <laughs> that's I, it's actually, I have not read this article, but it's fascinating that that's even possible. Just think about any kind of signal trying to go through a body of water that is 100% water. That's That's pretty wild. I don't understand how they're doing that. What kind of rates are they getting? Because the waves have to be either so tiny. I would assume that the the frequency would have to be crazy high. What kind of? Yeah. Well, I'm glad you asked because I have some answers for you. <laughs> Give us the so, answers. There are generally three tools that people use for underwater communications. Radio signals, acoustic That's what signals, I use personally. Or uh, communication with visible light. So they decided to go with visible light here. Oh, okay. That makes sense. And to cut to the quick of it, they basically turn the video feed there's a there's an onboard Raspberry Pi okay. on the, the diver's back. Of course there it is. It turns video feed into Morse code. Yeah. And then it shoots it with either LED or uh, or laser, right? Okay. Uh, they can use LED if they're uh, up to 10 meters down. Hmm. Use laser if you're how many is that 20 in yards? meters. How many, how many yards in, in, is that? <laughs> yeah, 10 yards, 20 <laughs> yards. In, in terms of the transfer speed, let's see, in the experiment. So this is also, you, you called this out already. They've only tested this in static water. Ah, uh, no water. currents. That's, yeah. that's trouble. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Well, and the point to point with lasers has to be spot on. Was it salt water? So I don't know if it was salt or not. That's a good question. But they had a max transfer speed of 2.11 megs per what? second. What? So yeah, fast. And an average delay of one second. Do you mean K? No. It's so over 30 meters. Wow. That's like, so, that's Bluetooth speed. That's pretty good. Yeah. This is better. Yeah. This is better than the first iteration of, uh, of airline internet. <laughs> I'm a little confused about the picture at the top of this article though, because I swear that diver doesn't have a phone in that case. That, <laughs> yeah, for, that is no phone. That is an empty case underwater. I don't know what they're trying to show me there, but it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> There's a, it appears to be a woman snorkeling about a foot from the surface with an empty with an waterproof empty phone, phone case, case. <laughs> and that's, that's stock the footage stock footage <laughs> water wi so what's, what's the application though forget that so say say 10 years this gets better yeah. transfer speeds are there what's the application because before whatever they're doing you're getting air, a turtle yeah exactly you, you communicate with <laughs> but no whatever they're doing down there they're just storing the data right if you're if you're collecting data yeah, yeah why do you, why do you need real-time connection why are we yeah doing so the they, they were saying they wanted to give people a live experience of the ocean depths. Mm, like Jacques Cousteau, but real time. Nope. Not good enough. What else you got? I guess, man. What else yeah, you got? I, yeah, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I, don't see the, I don't see the real point here, but yeah. no, push, I mean, why not? Push? Just, there are other systems. Just put a cable down there. It's 20 meters. Yep. Right. You're going to be right underneath a boat that's got a, I don't know. I, I, need, I need to understand more why this needs to be solved without right. a tether. Because yeah. Wi-Fi, the point of Wi-Fi, right, is anyone, any, anywhere, anytime, right? Any device, any network, any app. That, that's the idea. Let you roam wherever you want to roam without a cable. But if we're talking about an underwater thing, I just, I, I think maybe it's going to be a hundred years before we've got a, a use case for this, right? What are we doing? To, <laughs> they run a cable. So yeah. we've been it's running cable. We don't. There's got to be something. But I feel like they should have talked about what that thing is. That's right. We we've had live video from <laughs> the from the bottom of the ocean for decades, right? So. 
Yeah. Okay. Well. Yeah. It, well, that's all they're saying. They're, they're just saying go. they've done a bunch of things it's like planet moonshot. Earth and and our planet and all that stuff on the yeah. you know the National planet. Geographic just... is the use case. Anyway, all right, cool. Well, we've beaten that one to death. I'm a member <laughs> of the National Geographic Junior Explorers Club. I was at least fascinated by the fact that we could uh, design a, a solution here that would take the video, turn it into Morse code, and then transfer it at a rate of 2.1 megs a second. That's incredible that I we can. Pretty, that, is, that is pretty cool. Don't get me yeah. wrong. The uh, the feat in and of itself is pretty interesting. But yeah, but sending anything through water, unbelievable. All right, what else y'all got? Everything in the tech news right now is how tech companies are spying on people. I, I, that's every story is about, hey, here's how we're using your data. Here's how we're using your data. And you didn't know we were using your data. So I'm yeah. thinking about turning all the tech off. I don't have anything to hide, but it's like it's so creepy all the time. So I already switched to the private browser. I got the VPN. I got like I'm trying to protect my privacy every which way. But even so, you're communicating with people that are wide open. And mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And it's just like, I, I already had, I told my, you know, I told my father 25 years ago, if you're on the internet, lose all expectation of privacy. Yeah, of course. But it's, it's big brother level. It's intentional. It's not just, Hey, this is being logged somewhere in a database, but it's like, okay, now we're going to use this for this and we're going to use it for that. And you didn't give me consent and you didn't give me anything. And, um, this is what we're doing. Participate or don't. It's, you know, an interesting part of that, there was there's an article I read a couple of days ago now, and I don't think I have the link here, but it was talking about um, sort of advancements in real-time tracking of human health and stuff like that, uh, which is, I think, top of mind for a lot of people. We get into the contract tracing and stuff like that. Sorry, contact tracing. But it, it brought up a specific case, which I don't remember all the details to, but where someone's blood ended up having something about it that ended up being very useful for preventing or fighting a particular type of cancer. It was Wolverine's blood, right? The form of the other treatment that this person was getting, scientists or researchers basically took that blood, took it down to its basic elements, understood what was going on and created a treatment, um, which was specialized, therefore expensive to treat this cancer. And that person wasn't so much as credited for it let alone compensated for the fact that something that is very genetically theirs ended up being used to treat this special form of cancer. And it it sort of raised questions about, we talk about understanding if you're operating online, there's no expectation of privacy. And you'll hear the adage all the time of, if, if you're not paying for it, then you're the product. We don't get compensated for being the product in these cases, right? So it'd be really interesting to see what would happen if companies that use users as the product were sort of forced to provide some percentage of compensation back. Now, obviously, you wouldn't want all of it because if it was all of it, why would they build the business? Why would they build the things? Why would they have those features? But if if the reason Google Maps was free to me was because I was driving a lot, then I get a penny for every mile I drove or every net new mile that was used from my data statistically to build out more accurate maps it would probably change that equation a bit for people because the less privacy you had, the more compensation you'd get. But even just, yeah, exactly. Right. So like, but even, even to know what you're trading, right. At all, like oh, for fine, sure. then, then we can make a deal, but as it stands, you don't know what you're trading. You, <laughs> right. Well, and that should be a baseline. And I know yeah. we, we constantly try to deal with that and, you know, tinfoil hat, right. comes up a lot on, on the show, but the, the idea that companies aren't naturally going to go out of their way of to, do extra legal reporting, right? They're going to do the bare minimum that they required yeah, to do. <laughs> people aren't. Yeah, people are lazy. Yeah, yeah, that's right. 
Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And they don't put others first. They put themselves first, and that's extra work. Mm-hmm. And, and I get that. But, you know, use, use case of, hey, if I could get uh, – if I know what it looks like, a pre-heart attack. And we've got that pretty good now. We know what a pre-heart attack looks like because of all the biometric data, right? Even off of a watch device, right? No, Nothing implanted, no blood, just a watch device. We know what a pre-heart attack looks like because people have heart attacks with their Fitbit on, right? <laughs> now, if I could sign up for that service and say, hey, let me know if I'm going to have a heart attack in the next four yeah. minutes, right? Like, yeah, four extra minutes would be great so the EMTs could be here. Uh, when yeah. I, or you know, or I could prevent. Well, and I think I think an argument can be made, arguably even a good one, that the only way you got to pre-heart attacks and the amount of data it took was collecting a bunch of Fitbit data and yep. people basically providing that freely to researchers, right? Yep. I think there's there's obviously an intent part too, and and should people be compensated for participating in those programs? Is it necessary to compensate someone for participation in a program, even if you told them outright, you know, upfront, hey, we're using it for this? But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a, it's an interesting one. There's lots of fuzzy lines, I think. All right. Let me jump to this next one, which I thought was a pretty funny uh, little title here. This was, uh, where was it at? Fark.com slash geek. There's a little, uh, <laughs> they, they write a little comment about the article. It's not the actual article title, but I thought this was funny. Intel closing up ongoing security exploits in its upcoming Tiger Lake line. Just kidding. They're adding another layer of attack by baking in anti-malware detection. <laughs> That's right. That's, yeah, right. that's a perfect way to, to write that title, too, because I saw I saw a more traditional title about the same thing, right? Baking in the anti-malware into the chip. But that that's such a, a funny and on-point description of stuff that's going on with Intel and anything they bake into their chips right now, right? They, they don't have a very good recent track record of nailing it on the security front. Yeah. And we've talked about that here, the the speculative execution issues and the technology here, just to get real for a second, uh, it's called control flow enforcement technology. It's going to debut in Tiger Lake. And apparently it looks like it was jointly developed by Intel and Microsoft. Uh, It's designed to uh, thwart a technique known as return oriented programming, which is that same sort of reference to the speculative execution where the chip is giving you data that it thinks you might need, mm-hmm. which you're, you shouldn't have access to, and then you take it. But yeah, it looks like the uh, the Tiger Lake CPU architecture is going to be the first to include it. Now, I mean, all in all, all jokes aside, too, um, obviously, Intel, Microsoft as well, are they're not slouches when it comes to this kind of research. So hopefully, it's well executed and doesn't end up being a vector for exploit that's worse than the problem they're solving, right? But it almost doesn't matter. It almost doesn't matter what product they sell. They still got 90 plus percent of of the data center processor market in the world, right? So, oops, here's our next product. Buy it. Yeah, that's true. You don't. There's, you, don't you don't have a say. Good luck. <laughs> yeah. Good luck. Well, Apple has a say. They're, uh, yeah. they're going with ARMS. Yeah, yeah that's right. Arm and chips. you're starting to see more of it, right? You're starting to see yeah. more of it. But how long has it been? It's been, it's been over a decade of just utter yeah. monolithic monopoly domination of of a mainstream data center. So there's been people around the edges, but ARM, you know, uh, AMD is the only one that's that's really uh, produced some competition in the data center, right? Not mobile, yeah. Yeah. not PC, but in the data center. Well, and maybe we'll see more of that with you know what AWS is doing with ARM and yeah. availability in AWS. I wonder if the other hyperscalers will start to do the same things. Obviously, Apple moving away is sort of showing their hand, right? When they made the shift to Intel, it was right before the what core core two um, architecture came out, right? And they their move away, <laughs> yeah. The, but their move away basically yeah. it was perfectly timed to catch Intel's absolute dominance. Yep. 
in the compute space. And so this is also, if indicative of something similar, right? It just means that it's time to break away from it. So that's one of, one of the interesting things about Apple in general is they tend to execute very well, right? So I'm, I'm pretty curious to see how well this goes and how smooth the transition is. And if it's anything like the last time they did this, it will be very good for them. And Adam, you made a good point too, uh, distinguishing between the data center, right? Because they don't yeah. play in the data center. That's which right. Is, that's right. Which is where a lot of these issues are. Yeah, the mobile chips have have, have long time had, uh, and I don't like some of the actors in this space, but they've long time at least had some some competition. PCs have always had AMD chips in them. Uh, they didn't sell very well for a long time, but um, yeah. And, and and listen, the hyperscalers are using they're they're using uh, proprietary uh, processors based on Absolutely. different architecture. Yeah, you know what I mean. So there is there is competition there, and the things that you store some. Yeah, but it's small device. scale to your it point, is. right? It's, yeah, it is mostly absolutely Intel. Yeah, which is crazy. It's like one of the massive monopolies out there, and I don't know if the government doesn't like I. I'm not for a monopoly, right? Like uh, <laughs> I'm not for subsidizing everybody, but that's one of those things where I feel like the government doesn't see through it. They just think of tech, right? And they're like, oh, what's Apple doing? Mm-hmm. Well, there's more to it. Like let's go underneath the consumer products. And there are monopolies that are out there. That's that's the clearest one that governments don't, they don't even think antitrust. They don't just mess with, yeah. Yeah, they're thinking, you know. Well, and I would imagine a lot of that is that if it's not in the public's eye and the yeah. public isn't clamoring about it, then yeah. They're never going to hit a critical mass where they can do it. I guess it's it, that actually brings up a really interesting point because I think we criticize a lot of the, the megalithic corporations for having so much control. But that's a perfect example of even though Amazon is Amazon, you don't see them fixing, quote unquote, a problem with Intel, right? Nope. And I'm curious why. Is it because, well, Amazon is big and special enough that they can actually go get competitive yep. pricing from That's right. the monopoly? My guess is yes. Yep. Right? And so uh, it's it's the, the few very large players at the top don't see the issues with a monopoly because they're big enough to play the game. Mm-hmm. And then everyone else just has to deal with it because their voice, even from a corporate perspective, is too small. Yeah. And, and, you know, you can go vote with your dollar, right? Um, you know, if you don't like what Amazon, if you don't like Amazon's big business practices, vote with your dollar. Don't, don't do it, right? Um, people are free to do that. But yeah, that, that's a, that's a space where it's just utterly dominated. That's crazy. Interesting. Yeah. Speaking yeah, here, of, oh, oh go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say that there are two uh, probes in the EU and, and I yep. think that the EU always tends to be a little bit more aggressive. Uh, when yeah. It comes to GDPR, check the boxes. Stuff. Yeah, which which I think is good if if for nothing else than it's a test bed for can this even work, right? Because I know that's right. criticism you crazies, of that. You crazies, go try it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> well, maybe not crazy, but yes, yes. The the it's it seems like their heart's in the right place. Yeah. Whether or not execution is actually either doable or they're doing it right, that's something else entirely. But both Apple and Amazon are uh, being or kind of in the EU's crosshairs. The European Commission is probing them over uh, competitive practice. Amazon related to some of their dominance in the COVID-19 market. And then uh, Apple, you know, for being Apple, and I guess specific to what they are and are not allowing with their uh, touchless payment systems. Um, They're basically calling Apple out for saying that other applications can't take advantage of it, or not applications, because I think you could bake Apple Pay into a lot of stuff. It's other payment processors Mm -hmm. being 
you know, tacked onto it. And that was interesting because I hadn't even considered it, mostly because I'm not an Apple user. So I have Google Pay and Google Pay, you can load basically any credit card you have and use it as a contactless payment method. Um, so I just assumed Apple Pay worked the same way. I, am I wrong? Is it not uh, like any credit card can be? Well, any is I put yeah. that in air quotes. It's any any that's. So I'm I'm kind of curious what exactly you can use the card, but it's the payment processor behind it, right? And so Apple's using yeah. their own payment processor. You can't use, uh, and these are payment processors like. I've dealt with some of them and supplied them with technology over the years, but they're companies you haven't heard of. Most of them <laughs> that, that sure. they do, they do retail payment process, um, processing. Mm-hmm. They, they're B2B companies. And I think that's the issue is, Hey, okay. they, you can put any card you want in there, but the payment's actually going to be run through this company, which means they're going to get their pinch. So, but Apple's yeah, so the, the middleman, if you will, somewhere yeah. between you, the consumer, the businesses in the back end, and, and Visa, that's name is on the card, is actually doing some sort of middle process before it go hit, goes and hits the credit card yep. uh, company. Interesting. Okay, that makes sense. Uh, kind of curious El- to see how Elevon is one of those in, in Europe, and they're in the U.S. as well. Mm-hmm. Elevon, nobody's ever heard of them, but if you look at some of these credit card payment screens, it says Elevon right on there. What's mm-hmm. an Elevon, right? I thought I was using <laughs> Visa. I thought I was using PayPal. Like I thought I was using- yeah, exactly. Elevon. <laughs> so that's that's one of the payment processors, yeah. Yeah, cool. Uh, yeah. The x customer. Maybe. Perhaps. Maybe. You can either confirm or deny. Or aren't they I don't all know anymore because I'm not in the business unit. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak on behalf. All right. Uh, I thought this one was pretty cool. Engineering and nursing professors collaborate to build open source 3D printed Bluetooth stethoscope with a 50 foot range to help Holy cow, what? practitioners stay safe. Yeah. So it, there's a there's an open source app that you load on a phone. Very cool. And then you plug your wire, your Bluetooth earbuds in and then you can 3D print the stethoscope and okay, and it's give it. Give it to is the. It, give it is to this wide open? Like I need that link. I'm gonna go. <laughs> That's right. I want to. I'm gonna go open. print that and give it to doctor friends. That's so That's cool. Right. So the so cool. the user the patient puts it on themselves. That's the that's yep. the idea, and then it transmits versus the cord. Right, that it, yep. it transmits very blue. Okay, that's pretty. Yeah, the nurse or doctor doesn't have to stand there over yeah. them breathing the same air, and uh, yeah, and they can check on their heart and lungs. Yeah, that's that seems pretty simple. Very cool. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm totally looking at that. I wonder how uh, complicated the total system is, uh, well, for or if it's you know off the shelf uh, stuff that you can get plus a little bit of 3D printing. It looks like an open source app, and you print a. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. I, I'm totally gonna look into it. I'm gonna see if yeah. it's possible for me to print well, this- that, and I'm just gonna go gift it to a couple of the neighborhood doctors that I know are uh, stressed about their primary care physicians, and and it's. Uh, Especially with some of the loosening of restrictions here in North Texas, they're very stressed out about the number of people coming in and uh, their sort of brazen lack of concern. It looks like the so the article says the digital stethoscope can cost it costs less than twenty dollars to make. Boom! So that's it's awesome. a, you got a Bluetooth sort of... piece that goes in it. Yeah, that's right. The transmitter. Yeah. So, but this is a big sense. step forward, moving telehealth more toward why do I have to go to a face to face office visit? Yeah. Right. Definitely. That's the oh, that's, that's the big piece here. If if you can step, you, could, you could have these at home for twenty dollars. Right. And yeah, now all they need is uh, the what the like the otoscopes and um, what's that one that for the? I guess it is an otoscope that goes in your nose too. Ears, uh, nose, nose, throat, ears. Well, that yeah. the ear that's the otoscope. But yeah, cool, very cool. No, that's awesome. 
Yeah, and then they can get your the heart rate's easy, right? So what else do they need for telehealth? Um, they need uh, fine. You tell your scale to be able to communicate uh, weight. Mm-hmm. Right? That one they should be that. straightforward with all the smart scales we have. Yeah, that's. I don't want anyone to know my weight. It's too high anyway. Um, <laughs> then the the blood draw and the urine. That's all we're missing. Home blood and urine draw. That's going to be a tough sell. There you go. Um, you know, that's actually probably not that far <laughs> off. There's plenty honest. of blood draw going on in your house. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Watch out. I, I wouldn't be surprised. People I don't know that people things. are going to want to do it, but uh, being able to uh, take really small samples and then put them into a relatively inexpensive testing kit that allows sort of remote um, observation at a kind of microscopic level, it, we're probably not that far from that. It's just do people want to do that? Two things. Two things that we got that are already moving us toward that. You can go to CVS today and you can buy a, a street drug test kit. Like this will test someone for heroin yeah, and methamphetamines go. and cocaine. So you can buy those kits today. It can't test for everything, but it's a very simple home test to use for somebody that's recovering uh, from drug abuse. So those tests Interesting. exist, right? Two, life insurance exams. If you get a big life insurance exam, not through your company, they're going to send someone, a home health person. Like They're a technician. They're not a nurse. It's a technician that literally just does life insurance exams, right? They take blood for cheap. Yeah. And and that's interesting too, because I wonder, I've never used any of those kits, but how much blood do they need? And I I think that really boils down to what tests you're doing too, because I know sometimes they have to separate the blood from the plasma and they're looking at your plasma and things like that. That's not as easy to do, but that's where I expect advancements in the technology necessary and used to actually look at those sorts of blood plasma sort of situations will allow you to take a pinprick's worth of blood Put it into a system that has a arguably inexpensive, you know, digital microscope, processes through an AI engine and says, yes, yes, no, yes, no. And then there will be a list of things you can do from a home health perspective and a list of things you can't, right? But uh, I, I fully expect those things to get closer and closer. That's actually a really interesting topic in general. Well, and just thinking about that, really knows what's going on there. The home health network is enormous already. These are people that are um, their occupational therapists, their physical therapists. They're in a car. They're driving around all day doing appointments, right? And if they could simply add a, you know, if they could add a blood or urine, I don't know if they do it today, but now we've got all the data we need. Why are we doing office visits, right? Now you can do telehealth. Mm-hmm. Cost comes way down. If the cost comes way down, then more people can do it more frequently. And now we're talking about huge, uh, you know, PCP uh, health uh exams and some accountability yeah. and some knowledge. Now we're talking about extending people's lives, extending people's health and enjoyment of life a lot. If we could do get everyone doing for a hundred bucks a year doing four PCP visits, right? Um, you know, yeah. that'd be that'd yeah. be a big deal. I uh, I had a, a remote tell I don't know if y'all have done that yet. Um, I have not got a COVID I had a meeting with my primary care physician and what had happened, we got a puppy. Puppy is roaming through the woods, picks up poison ivy. I pick him up and I'm snuggling him because he's a puppy and he's adorable. <laughs> and I get a massive rash on the side of my neck yep, that crazy. is poison ivy. Yep. Nice. And had it. Now he used Skype, which is terrible. But it made the experience like from, you know, get, there, there was a receptionist that welcomed me on and said, okay, wait here, you know, just kind of the whole sort of thing. But it worked magazines? amazingly Were well. Magazines, like old that's, magazines, that's really cool. 90s in there. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah. This is, it, add that to it the yard. Really well. Put it on the list. <laughs> Telemedicine goes through the roof. <laughs> well, it, it, that's it, right? Uh, yeah, I think. And again, I, I know 
uh, physicians, right? And what they tell me a lot of primary care people is it's really not like that I'm doing the specialized intense things in medical school. It's that they're listening to me and that I'm mm. making them think about their health. And so if I could tell them to quit smoking and lose weight uh, four times a year versus once yeah, every four years, yeah. you know what I mean? It's just, it's a psychological. Yeah, and that's why reducing the cost and making accessibility yes. so well. If, it, if you yes. can do it, you know, in the morning with your coffee, instead of having to go to a physician's office, then you're more likely to do it. If it costs less, then it's more that's because what's killing yeah, people? It all makes what's sense. killing people in the first world? Obesity, heart disease, and cancer. Right. So we get heart disease and and cancer screenings, cheap and easy and free and economic. Um, yeah. Now we're talking about yeah, something that'll change life expectancy a lot. All right. Changing we, uh, gears a bit. Yeah. Um, I saw I saw a cool article that reminded me of you, Billy, because you've always I, brought I up was about Blaine to jump general, straight to that. But, uh, yeah, so I ran into an arts technical article that just said that Top Gun like experiences are are becoming more approachable uh, with DIY kit planes that are made to look like uh, some of the classic warbirds, right? And uh, it, reading the article, of course, accessible is is all relative. Uh, I guess previously it was quite expensive to do it. Now it's just really expensive to do it. So, <laughs> so like, what are we talking about here? Uh, with that little note, it was I think it was about seven hundred and fifty thousand out the oh. gate before maintenance. So yeah, not exactly general public approachable yet. For less than a G fifty, you know, less. Than but yet. exactly, it's less than it used to cost, which yeah. makes made me very curious about what people were playing to uh, to get those classic warbird experiences. <laughs> Clearly, a lot. Yep. Um, yep, yep. Let's see. That was fun. You got to be a movie and a, star. Another shift and one that I feel like we have to talk about today because uh, I think it's freaking awesome is um, scientists are more easily able to create a Bose-Einstein condensate um, in uh, microgravity, so on the ISS. And, and this one caught my eye because uh, Bose-Einstein condensates is one of those things I have heard about for a long time. And I remember the first time seeing it, and actually I had to go look this up to make sure I wasn't remembering it correctly, but it was uh, it, it's, it's effectively massive removal of heat from uh, suspended gas, right? And so the the process that was ultimately used to get a gas to near absolute zero, so near zero Kelvin, right? Um, it has to do with uh, an additive process where they did something with the conden, conden, like a condensate-like process, so just like a condenser in an, in an air conditioner that removed sort of the last little bits of heat. But what caught my eye back in the day was that they, they can use Bose-Einstein condensates to quote-unquote slow down light. And basically what happens is when you pass uh, wave-like particles through Bose-Einstein condensates, you get a, and, and I'm probably going to be wrong about how I'm imagining this, but you basically get a reduction of the probabilistic wave equation uh, from, from a quantum effect perspective. So it's easier to observe quantum effects because it's less, less of a probabilistic cloud, I guess. And good luck with that one in your head. But... Yeah, bro, you Apparently, lost me. I'm still reading the well, other article. No, he's gonna make it easier to study. That's right. It's gonna make it easier <laughs> but, to study. It's a uh, yeah. Yeah. So so what's cool about this is that on Earth, where we discovered being able to make these condensates in the first place, and there's actually a Nobel Prize awarded to the the groups that sort of put together Bose and Einstein's theory of how this would work, is a very large enclosure and a very expensive enclosure, not not only in part to you know, size and complexity, but also the amount of energy necessary to remove all that heat. Well, apparently on the ISS or probably anywhere that's microgravity, right? 
um, we can do so at smaller scales with a lot less uh, energy needed. So they are able to make Bose-Einstein condensates on the ISS easier and for longer periods of time, which means we'll be able to do a lot more research. Yeah. Which okay, is super so cool. For, for those Making those space don't know research what cheaper. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Making space research cheaper. And that's good. That means we can do more of it. More people can do it. It's more accessible. We'll get more results. Yeah. It's not just three state governments, i.e. that's who the only uh, actors in the world that can afford space research, three right. state actors today. Yeah. Speaking of space research, uh, they're getting a new toilet on the ISS. Saw that in the news. <laughs> if you don't know what a condensate is, it's liquid formed by condensation. So it's a compound produced by a condensation reaction. Uh, natural gas is a uh, is a condensate. Mm -hmm. the, the the liquid uh, version, a low density mixture of hydrocarbon liquids that are present as a gaseous compound or component. Not to go way backwards, uh, but Tyler, the article, since I was so fascinated, thank you for pulling that up. Um, although I have a few comments on this. After building a car and driving it and seeing it's not quite, I mean, it's it's cool, but it's got its limitations because um, I'm not a professional car builder. I'm not sure I'd want to also put myself in the air at the same time, <laughs> but this does seem fun. And the oh, 750... Yeah, yeah, the kit plane thing. Yeah, the, so the 750K is... Uh, that that's referring to the, uh, the original, uh, retired military planes. Oh, okay. Good. It, it costs oh, that you much. Have to buy it's too fast. <laughs> if, well, no, no, no. If, if you wanted an original yeah. right? and they cost about yeah. 400, $600 oh, an hour nice. to run. Sure. No, but they're These building. Are... Yeah. So they're building ones, um, that cost as little as 70 K and they're under $50 an hour to fly. As long as it could also glide. So if yeah, all no, the power that is a huge fail deal. and it could glide. So factor of 10, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. And so there's a, there, it looks like, uh, <laughs> well, yes, they, hopefully they can glide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but so, you know, some of those, if the, if the power, like F 15, it's not made to, it's not going to do much gliding unless you're already going Mach one, right. It's going to just fall like a rock. Cause it's not made for <laughs> gliding. It's got tiny little wings. It's maneuverable. Right, right, and, right. And a giant. I, uh, I actually had, uh, when I worked at uh, Lockheed, there were a lot of mechanics that actually were in the process of building kit planes. And it's mm. it's no small undertaking, right? I mean, oh, literally I built from the ground up. And if I'm not mistaken, though, some of the things that um, that they had to go through from a maintainability perspective, you still basically have to get the aircraft certified under certain maintenance um, yeah. so that you can fly, fly in certain ways, you know, stuff like oh, that. Sure. So, so even the hobby side of it, I, I think it's pretty extreme. I'm with you, Even though, still, though, man. I found making a mistake and finding myself stranded with a non-working aircraft, you know, a mile off the ground. Yeah. <laughs> Even still. So they do the same thing for, for if you build your own car, right? Mm -hmm. You got to go get it checked on. Well, first of all, they make sure that you didn't steal any of the parts that you put in the car. That's step <laughs> one. Once you prove that, Meh. then they say, does it have a windshield? Check. Does it have a horn? Check. Yeah. Right. Does it have... It's so basic. Does it have a seatbelt? Check. Yeah. So they're not... Now that there, there's a step in there. A plane. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there's a step agencies. in there. There's a step in there where a master mechanic will go over it and certify it. But it, that's all just to say, like, does it have a front steering rack? Sure. You know, like, is this thing not going to just totally like, is, is it a danger to others? Right. Yes, but it is. Anyway. It well, I'm glad you caught that because I haven't had a chance to read all the way through this article yet. And it's actually quite long and, and really interesting. Um, but 
it's uh that's cool if because i mean and people have to go look at these stuff but you can see sort of the pictures of some of these classic warbirds and they are they are fascinating looking aircraft and i can 15 f-16s that we're talking about no 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 like uh i would think probably um P fifty one Mustang two sort of yeah, yeah okay yeah. These, these Spitfire from the British the old yeah. warbirds yeah yeah, right. yeah 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 okay P fifty one think think single propeller multiple yeah propeller, yeah yeah Mustang. Uh, aircraft sure not uh, not jets okay I don't I don't think we're doing DIY okay. jets very good. much at all good that sounds that sounds <laughs> dangerous I have to use ninety three octane all right. for that. Hey, we gotta we gotta shut this down. Um, oh, well, yeah. Adam, is there anything else that you want to either plug or uh, or mention before Tyler shuts it down? I'm just so happy uh, that you guys allow me on here occasionally. It just makes me so happy. Glad to have you back, buddy. All right, everybody, that brings another episode of Tech Breakfast Podcast to a close. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. And as always, if you've got news we missed, general feedback, or you want to come join us on the show, hit us up. Let us know what you're thinking. And thanks for listening. Thanks for subscribing, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Love you guys. Booyah. Booyah.